This podcast is part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network, the network for first responders and those who support them. Happy Fourth of July! Happy Fourth of July, Laura. One of my favorite holidays. It's the Scissors and Scrub edition of Fourth of July. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have really exhausted all of the Fourth of July topics we could. So yeah. we're going back, way back, to the mm-hmm. birth of our nation, mm-hmm. 1776, mm-hmm. and a kind of nursing and war wounds from the American Revolution. Yes. Why? And some doctors. Why do I love the American Revolution so much? Because mm, we got our freedom. Because it's an underdog story. Oh, okay. we were these little shits. Mm-hmm. On this side of the water, mm-hmm. couldn't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. We took on Goliath mm-hmm. and we won. Mm-hmm. Boom, boom! I do love an underdog. Shot her around the world. Mm-hmm. Was the start of the revolution. Schoolhouse Rock, seventies. Nobody remember? No. The Minutemen were ready on the moon. Mm-hmm. That's, that's I know. Just... Don't shoot till you see the whites of their eyes. Right. Yeah. One if by land, two if by sea. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were these little shits. We yeah. got it together. We united the thirteen colonies. Mm-hmm. Took on England, the biggest power in the world, mm-hmm. and we won. Mm-hmm. And not only did we win, we went on to become the most powerful nation in the world mm-hmm. for a time. So, mm-hmm. all right. So back in the day, we had nurses. We did. No nurses, just nurses. Yeah. Um. Do you want to talk about? Do you want me to talk about the role of nurses first? Sure. Do you want to talk about like battlefield a, injuries? It's like an overview. It's like talk about. Nurses. Okay. So women of the revolution. Mm There really wasn't per se, how shall we say it, official nurses back in the day. Mm -hmm. Women were camp followers. All right. So you had the troops. Mm -hmm. They're moving around and here come the wives and the prostitutes and the kids and they're Mm -hmm. all following the troops. And they would have roles in these troops because by following the troops, they would get food. They would get, uh, be able to be with their husbands Mm -hmm. and they were, they were giving needs to the troops that the government could as far well, not those kind of mm-hmm. needs are maybe some of those needs mm-hmm. but they would do laundry oh they would oh, be that's... doing the laundry mm-hmm. and they would um they would sew the uniforms and clean the uniforms and keep the men mm-hmm. relatively clean mm-hmm. so you could have a shirt cleaned for two shillings oh. woolen breeches vests and overalls for two shillings each mm-hmm. a linen vest and breeches for one shilling each Linen overalls, one shilling and sixpence each. Mm-hmm. Stocks, stockings, and handkerchiefs, sixpence each. So they would get paid for these, and this is how they would. Because <clears throat> you is, figure. Is that that song, Sixpence on, on the Liver? Sixpence. I don't know. What was that? I think you're just Kiss making shit up. Kiss me under the pale moonlight. Do you remember it was like in like the nineties, like like sixpence none the richer. Sixpence. Oh, that was the name of the band. Yeah, right. Yes, not the name of the song. Oh, all right, but it was sixpence. Yeah. Well, because England had all the weird money. Right. All right. So at this all time, right. we're still kind of we're kind of English. Okay. So, <sighs> and they also wanted to make sure that the women didn't wash the clothes in the same rivers men drank out of because that would be disgusting. <laughs> they did cooking and other chores. Mm-hmm. Um, when soldiers entered the army, they formed messes. History Org explains mm-hmm. these messes were generally composed of six men who shared housekeeping chores, including getting water, chopping wood, and cooking meals. However, on occasion, women of the regiment earned extra money by cooking for men who could afford to pay them. Mm-hmm. So, there is a really, 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 really good show called Turn. Turn. Mm-hmm. And it is about the revolution, unbeknownst to me, and it's a true story. Mm-hmm. George Washington had spies. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know why that's a like big shock. Turncoat. He was turn, yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. they, he, this poor guy, just wanted to be a cabbage farmer, but his cabbages <laughs> didn't go well at all I that year. Want to be a cabbage he just wanted to fucking do his ca- cabbages, have his wife, call mm-hmm. it a day. Mm-hmm. Here comes the revolution. His friends are all in the revolution. One of his friends is really hot in the revolution, mm-hmm. and they use him because his town is being held by the. Um, english okay so they use him to go back and forth to tell them what's going on but he does it it's actually really really good they get into camp followers in that's how it all ties into oh. turn okay mm-hmm. the guy who plays um elton john's best friend in rocket man is the lead character oh. okay what's the guy's name what's his the writing team 
It was Elton John and Bernie something. No, I can't think of Toppin. Bernie, Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders. <laughs> yes. Elton John and Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders and his mittens. Yeah. Okay. So then they also had nurses. Mm-hmm. Despite the opportunity to earn money, nursing was a dangerous and low-reputation job. As it always was. Officers therefore alternately bribed or threatened... Oh, Jesus! That sounds like today. Or threatened women... You don't get this case done! I'm not going to feed you if you don't fucking nurse. By enticing them with payment or taking away food from women who refused to be nurses. Imagine, that's pretty rough. Are you going to do this? I'm going to starve you. Yeah. I mean, they took our tables away. To eat at. Yes, they yeah. did. We were in these little tiny desks, yeah. which I would really and like. And they seem tables. to be getting less and less desks. Less and less desks, and the desks are closer and lo- closer together. Yeah. Now we're all sitting in circles, so yeah. just give us our desks yeah. back. And, you know, forced overtime and everything. So, yep, they have taken food away and they bribed <gasps> them. Mm-hmm. And there was quite a bit of leeway when it came for who could be a nurse. Oh. Whether it be overlooking the lack of medical experience. So, here's some woman washing laundry and they're like, you're gonna nurse. nurse. It's you're not you. gonna eat. Yeah, you do. A, you do a mean mending. Mm-hmm. You're coming over, or even occasionally British associated nurses. Now I had. Oh, here she is. I had her name, and here it is because mm-hmm. I think I used this exact article. Um, shocker that there were a lot of people on this side that didn't want to be um, Americans. I hope they all fucking went home because if you weren't on it, you should have gone back. So they yeah. were supporting the British Army over here. That people moved to the colonies and they were supporting. People who were, who were born in the colonies but didn't believe we should become okay. independent. Right. They wanted the protection of mm-hmm. England. One such loyalist was Elizabeth Brewer. Elizabeth. She found a unique way to support her king. Oh. A bitch. She left her post as a nurse for the British soldiers in New Jersey and defended Affected, quote unquote, to the Continental Army. Uh-oh. After passing interrogation, I would love to know what that interrogation uh-huh. was. Can you clean a bedpan? She was permitted to nurse for the revolutionary side. Two months later, she's discovered a charge with espionage, but they don't talk about what happened to her, uh-uh. which I would love to have known. What she's happened? Yeah, they definitely. Oh, she's I would. Gone I would her. I should, her. What's the other one there? Uh, Arnold. Yeah, they're probably hanging Benedict. next to each other. Benedict Arnold. Mm-hmm. I couldn't remember his first Benedict, he's another fucker. Okay, so Martha Washington and Abigail Adams mm-hmm. both served as nurses, nurses during the Revolutionary War. Mm-hmm. Uh, Martha carried supplies to soldiers from Mount Vernon. She traveled to war zones with her husband and set up sewing circles with officers and wives. Oh, sewing circles. One witness's recounts, I never in my life knew a woman so busy from the early morning until late at night, as was Lady Washington. Providing comforts for the six soldiers. Oh. I mean, she was one hell of a first lady, wasn't uh-huh. she? And she then was you right get, out there. And then you get number two. Yeah, Abigail also served as a nurse, and she <laughs> supplied and delivered, as well as ammunition producer. Like an Abigail. <laughs> I mean, it must have really been hard living in Martha's shadow. Uh, yeah. Okay, so some historians believe that women's participation in the American Revolution tribu- contributed to the emerging role of Republican motherhood which assigned women to the responsibility for the moral training of their sons for citizenship, which led to the expansion of educational opportunities for women. For women. Whatever. <laughs> so, um, the Revolutionary War was a pivotal point in reestablishing the role of men and women, particularly in the army and the workforce. Nursing, in particular, proved to be a demanding but rewarding responsibility for men and women during the Revolution. Okay. So, it says nursing conditions of the Revolutionary War. So we have opportun- organization. In 1775, General Horatio Gates of the Continental Army told G.W., also known as George Washington, that the six suffered much for want of good female nurses. Mm-hmm. Notice he didn't say male. Oh, they only want female it's nurses. So Washington's mm-hmm. like, all right, we need nurses. So he approves one nurse per 10 patients. People complain today. For six to one. Well, she had ten well, to one. four to one. Well, four to one. This is ten to one. And then you had one head hag, also known as one matron, but chief nurse. It's me! <laughs> Laura's the head hag. She was assigned to a hundred soldiers. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and then Congress also permitted hospitals to be organized. At times, certain hospitals provided care and provisions for nurses and their children. Okay. So, I guess if your husband's off to war fighting for our freedom and shit gets real at home in the what I don't know, the Hessians come over and take over. You can have your kids with you when you're all set. So this is a big expense to the army. And what was happening is a lot of the nurses weren't even getting paid. 
and they, they would just have, get into they live would, there and they get, would get fed there, but or something. They wound up having to fight for it. And I think mm-hmm. I get that. I get into that in one of the women I talk about because they had to fight to get their money. Because the male doctors were paid forty dollars a month. Whopping. The nurses. How many? Five. A dollar. Close two. Oh, per month. two. But this was eventually raised to eight after oh. the fight, and that was to encourage more women to volunteer. Um, if nurses served. For the British, they were getting 13 shillings a month. Now, we're, we keep saying this. If you give them more money, we'll get more people. Yeah. Okay. But then I just, it's, I, it it's seems been to be since a concept the Revolutionary War. 200 years later. Okay, 200 and I don't know how many years later. Yeah. We still can't figure that out. Okay. Uh, there were rations given to both soldiers and nurses. And you could have meat, bread, beans, mm-hmm. veggies, fruit and veg. Fruit and veg. Milk, rice, beer, molasses. What the fuck am I going to do with molasses? I don't know, but we had a ton of them in Boston. What am I going to do with it, though? Okay, mm-hmm. molasses, candles, and soap. I guess you need candles so you can see. Yeah. Soap, soap I don't think many people beans. use it. Baked beans? Yeah, the molasses with the beans. Also baked beans. Yeah, I guess you're right. There you go. Maybe put it in your it beer, too. It just makes too. it taste Sweeten up your beer. Yeah. All right, so they got some rank. All nurses had to be had to confront the hostility of physicians and the belief that no decent woman would nurse a man outside her immediate family. Oh. I almost feel like we counted that now. Female nurses, who were still considered civilians, were not included in the military chain of command. They worked in, uh, but sometimes this worked for them because mm-hmm. they weren't held to the restrictions the military was held to, mm-hmm. which gave them a little more leeway to get away with shit. Mm-hmm. And then other times it's harder because nobody took them serious because right. they weren't military personnel. Uh, however, there were some women who ran military hospitals and were given the title of captain. Oh. Which, when you're in a military that really isn't recognized by anybody, I don't know what that means because we hadn't been recognized by anybody yet because we hadn't won. No. So you're a captain in really a non-existent army. Mm-hmm. Okay, lifestyle. Being a nurse might have provided job security, mm-hmm. but nurses were constantly faced with dangers. Mm-hmm. Laura, I think you talk about some of these dangers. Probably. Smallpox, mm-hmm. fever, mm-hmm. and other health risks. Mm-hmm. Surgeons and surgeon mates performed most of the skilled medical duties, which means the women in our always being treated fairly, mm-hmm. we got all the custodial work. Mm-hmm. Feeding and bathing, mm-hmm. emptying chamber pots, mm-hmm. which would be emptied right at the surgeon's mate. Yeah. Here you go. Cleaning hospital wards and occasionally cooking. Oh, good. Yeah. They also changed linens, swept, disinfected hospitals with vinegar. My mother used to make us clean with white vinegar. Mm-hmm. The house smelled like salad. I know. It's disgusting. It's real clean. It's gross. But I guess if that's all you had, mm-hmm. they would comb hair. We still do that. <laughs> I hate combing people's hair. You're on hair duty. I hate combing people's hair. I actually had a dream last night that my neighbor's kid, I had to comb their hair. It was full of lice. Ew. I think it's because I hate the kids. Um... <laughs> And were demanded, this is my favorite, because this would, they were demanded to stay sober. You are not allowed to drink. Oh, well, who's a nurse then? I mean, then how why? are we getting anybody yeah, to be a nurse? but you know what? Nobody. You're giving them beer as part of their rations, right. but yet they but you can't sober. have it. Give it to your husband. Assholes. They the provided kids. many of the essential duties that kept the hospital camps running. Mm-hmm. So. As we do. As we do. Mm-hmm. So it's very clear that Revolutionary War nurses had a sucky life. Mm-hmm. Military personnel and medical professionals depended on each other, and it served as a good learning experience for future standards and procedures in military organization. You know what? They needed Dorothea Dix. They needed and a little Clara. A little Clara Barton on this. All right. So let me see if I have. I think you cover. I think you cover everything else. Okay. So <laughs> they got creative with food. Oh God. A popular part of the patient's diet was warm pap. What's, Milk in which oatmeal had been cooked and strained into which beaten egg yolks, butter, <laughs> and orange flavor were added. Oh. And beef tea and an extra to beef juices. <laughs> beef tea? Beef tea. Oh. Which I, I guess is a form of beef bouillon. <laughs> <laughs> well, they just took the horse, the dead horse, out of the river, cooked him up. Oh, you know, because you know how good the standards were back so in that day. So they had you drink milk that they had strained oatmeal through, and put, and some put in beaten in. egg yolks, and butter, and orange flavor, and you'd take that with a side of beef tea Blech. with some extracted beef juices. And it doesn't really say where the beef came from. And the nurses made this shit. Yes, oh, yes, they did. It was a popular part of the patient's diet. Lana. I did. I don't. I Pap. didn't even like to bring the trays to the rooms because oh, they smell it that hospital <sighs> food smell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, yep. The meat, and then it's they always have the, meatloaf 
with really bad green beans and some slop of potato. The, the people who couldn't chew. Oh, yeah. the thickener. No, the food would be all pureed. Yeah. But it would be like a gray pile, a white pile, and there a green pile. There is literally a reason, Laura. I went right from surgical to, oh my God, to I circulator. Hated, I hated doing that. I skipped the whole floor in between. Never mind. So all I see now Beef is the tea. food coming through the OG tube, and that's oh, enough oh. for me. Yep. I'm good. So, yeah, we're going to have a nice side, warm side of pap to go with that. Oh. All right. So I'm going to let you go over to your business, and then I'm going to cover a few notable notes. Okay. A notable portable potables okay so i kind of do like an overview all right all right at the time of the revolutionary war there were only two hospitals in the colonies okay i think i talked about one of them oh so there's the one is the medical department of the college of philadelphia which is now the university of pennsylvania oh yeah mm-hmm. and then there's king's college in new york city which is now columbia university oh, no, i had another one okay um, up until the aftermath of the 1775 Battle of Bunker Hill, the Continental Army had no structured medical service. Mm-hmm. After that battle, they realized, oh, we need structured medical service. Because everybody got shit hit the fan. Mm-hmm. Um, the Second Continental Congress tried to establish the hospital department for the Army in July 1775, but there was so much infighting mm-hmm. that supplies and resources were in like, wicked shortage and attempts to enforce medical... <clears throat> I'm losing my voice again. Attempts to enforce medical competencies among army surgeons failed. So they wanted to get, like, everybody on the same page, all the mm-hmm. surgeons, to be able to have the same skills. And Oh, it still hasn't worked. Just went right out the window. <laughs> yeah. And we're still not there. So what's all this arguing over? So they're trying to establish these hospitals. They're trying to establish medical services. All this infighting. So the two main arguments were general, the general hospitals versus field hospitals mm-hmm. and then the training of the surgeons. So general hospitals. So there's those two general hospitals. Um, they were so overrun. There were so many patients there that most of the patients died of infection. Yeah. Because they were yep. just so overrun. And then the surgeons and the doctors died of dying of infection because it was just so rampant. Can you imagine how filthy they were? <clears throat> no. There was no... Because this is before there. Florence Nightingale right. coming in with her septic yeah, she techniques. she didn't clean everything. Yes. So it was just disgusting, filthy, and there was just people everywhere, and everybody was sick. So they laying on hay and shit and... Drinking yeah. pap. Um, and it was cheaper to run a few general hospitals as opposed to like many field mm-hmm. hospitals all over the place. And the surgeons at the field hospitals had more training. I believe it because they were dealing with I mean, constant. At the hospitals. Surgeons hospitals. at the general hospitals had more training. The surgeons at the field hospitals were kind of like, hey, I'm a doctor. Like, <laughs> hey, look at that MD after my yeah. name. Um, and then the arguments for the field hospitals. Um. So there's many of them all over the place. They're not as overrun because there's a lot of them. Um, but they're not really hospitals. They're like barns or yeah, they're houses like tents where that people they are injured over. and they're taking it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the sick or injured soldiers go to these little barns or houses and they just are kept together kind of. They didn't really have supplies there. They didn't have skilled physicians at the field hospitals. They were just kind of put there. Put there. Because they didn't know what else to do with them. Right. Um so there's a fight, like, should we have general hospitals? Should we have field hospitals? What's better? And they couldn't get this shit together to mm-hmm. get a, a right service hospital. running. Mm-hmm. So of the 3,500 doctors and surgeons in America at the time of the Revolutionary War, guess how many had medical degrees? Three. 400. Wow. Mm-hmm. Of the 3,500. Yeah. So how are they called doctor? Not sure. I'm not really sure how they got the title. They just called themselves surgeons. Like barbers or surgeons. You know, like... um, Nicole, MD. Nice to meet you. Um, Most had no experience with war injuries. Sanitation was basically non-existent at Mm -hmm. that time. Like I said, drag that horse out of the dead Mm -hmm. of the water. If someone had an injury to a limb, surgeons kind of automatically amped it. Whether it could work it or not. Right. Because they knew it would get infected. So they'd have this like gory injury and they're like, that's going to get infected. So we'll just cut it off before they die of sepsis. Um, most of the deaths were from disease, though. Like I said, there was smallpox, dysentery, yellow fever, typhus, and whooping cough. And they ran rampant. Well, does typhus come with a girlfriend? Typhoid? Yeah. Okay. They come right together. Yeah, they, they, they never go anywhere without each other. So I'll go, I'm just going to touch on those really quickly so you know what they are. Smallpox, it affected America. Uh, the American, the colony, the colonists 
more because the British were constantly exposed to it because they kept having yes. outbreaks in England. But over here, these people might have been here their whole life, so they might have not seen an outbreak. So when the smallpox were in the colonies during the war, out. the British weren't really affected. It was wiping out the colonists. That's how they killed off half the Native Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, so some say the British even used it as the first bioweapon. Oh, I believe it. Um, smallpox is spread by the variola virus. Symptoms include fever, cold, muscle pain, headaches, vomiting, small red spots on the skin, mouth, and tongue. After two to four days, red pustules will appear on the skin. There is also a chance of blindness. Didn't we George Washington have it like 12 George times? George Washington had yeah. it. Um, the big problem with smallpox is that it is easily spread. Mm-hmm. Also, you either have to inoculate people or quarantine people to prevent the spread. And either way, there's soldiers out of the numbers for weeks a at a time. Because it's like a three-week span. Right. So you're weak. You're Weakening your army mm-hmm. huge when there's a outbreak or you're trying to prevent an outbreak. Um, eventually, they did agree, Washington agreed, we're going to inoculate the soldiers, which did put them down for a few weeks, but right. it didn't make the mess sick. So when you inoculate, um, you made an incision on the arm of the healthy surgeon, uh, healthy soldier, and then you take the pus from the pustules oh. of a sick soldier and rub it into your cut. So you weren't inoculating, <clears throat> you were just making them sick. But they didn't, they would take it from soldiers that were healing. So it was already They passed. didn't get as sick. They would get like sick for a couple of days, but not as sick as if they were to get smallpox. Okay. It's, it's like a vaccine. Yeah. Um, But it, they literally took the pus That's out of their pustules and rubbed it into their cut. Um, So like I said, they got sick, but it wasn't as bad as if they caught it naturally. But again, That's disgusting. it took down... That is disgusting. Yeah, let me rub this pus into your Yes, come over here and put your pustules all over my body, please. Again, it took them down. They were down and out now for like a week or so with the inoculation. Um, but they weren't as sick as if they were to get it. And if they were in a battle and the troops were low anyways, you're not getting inoculated. Like, yeah. you know, this group's not getting inoculated. This, like, anything. They change That's just with what they need. Though. But it's disgusting. So then there's yellow fever. That's a disease that's carried by mosquitoes. They bite monkeys, and then they carry the yellow fever. They bite a human and pass the yellow fever Do we have a lot of monkeys in the United States? No, I'm assuming they came over with people that they had help fighting for them. Okay. All right. Um, Because I didn't think we had a big monkey population in the United States. The symptoms are fever, yellowing of the skin, eyes, and liver. Is it yellow fever because it's banana? Maybe. Um, or it makes you yellow. Um, you get cold. You get cold symptoms. You get a stomach ache, nausea, and vomiting. You get blood clots. You get delirium. Oh you get spasms. You it's get gum bleeding. Shit. Yeah. Patients must be hospitalized, and they have to be aggressively hydrated um, to survive. There's dysentery, which is spread through contaminated food and drink and poor hygiene. Um, symptoms are bloating, bloody diarrhea, cramps, flatulence, <laughs> vomiting, thirstiness. Fever, chills, rapid heart rate, I loss of strength. Laugh, I swear I have all those. <laughs> Flatulence. Flatulence. Bloody diarrhea. Um, high fever, dizziness, and fainting. And that is treated with bed rest and hydration. So again, you're knocking these troops out for you know, weeks at a time. Yeah. Um, and then there's typhus, which is spread through ticks, mites, and flea bites. You get a headache, a rash, and a fever, which appears one to two weeks after exposure. It's prevalent with poor sanitary conditions. So. Yeah. The, Everywhere it's dirty, getting all the usual all suspects show up. Dysentery, typhus, typhoid. Mm-hmm. It's like a lineup. And then there's whooping cough. Or oh, pertussis, pertussis is the other name. I had that in high school. Well, we get vaccinated for it now. There, we, I did. There was an outbreak at the time that I was in high school. My sister got it. So my sister, it was New Year's Eve. I'm in my mother's like three season porch with my boyfriend. My mother and my sister are in bed. And we hear like, boom. Like you could hear somebody running down the front stairs. I'm like, that's weird. And then you heard my front door. We never use my front door. We use the back door. Mm-hmm. And you heard the front door open and like run out. And I was like, what the F? Like, what is going on? And it was like when Stacy was little, she used to get, um, what's the thing at night? The um, cough. Croup. She used to get croup like every winter. And my mother would have me go take her outside until she could get dressed so we could go to the emergency room. So when she woke up, she wasn't breathing. She, she ran, ran outside to the front door because that's what we used to do when she had croup. And she stood out there. She vomited everywhere. 
And my mother took her to the hospital. Like, we didn't know what was going on. She's wheezing. She takes her to the hospital. They draw her blood, and they're like, we think she has whooping cough. I'm like, what? Like, how can you have whooping cough? And then, like, a few days later, I wake up at night, not breathing, vomit. Oh, my God. Coughing my lungs up. You know, they, they're like, yep. So they send you blood to, like, the state lab now. Oh, yeah. They have to yeah. run it. it takes, and like, it comes back. and every- It takes, like, two weeks to come back. And you have to, like, quarantine for three. Maybe so then, because now it comes back almost immediately. Oh, no. It was, like, weeks. We didn't know. If- but they were like, we're pretty sure that's what this is. It was awful. And they give you fenugreek with coating. They give you cough syrup with coating. For how long? Weeks. Weeks. You would wake up every night. No- I mean, you had the cough all day. And then you go to sleep with the fenugreek with coating. You'd be knocked out. And then you'd wake up in the middle of the night every night. You'd wake up, vomit, and then cough your lungs up. It was awful. It was every night. My poor oh my mother God. would run into my room all of a sudden, she, and she'd wake me up. She'd go, I thought that was you not breathing. And then she'd have to run into my sister's. It was awful. Every night we, you would wake up like that. It was terrifying. You would wake up like just choking to I think that vaccine worked. Yeah. So what happened, what I there was like an outbreak of it. Um, the That, the pertussis of the vaccine that we got was no good to a bunch of people like it was not um, oh, good. good so there was a little outbreak we did get the vaccine but it was when they drew the title yeah. we had nothing so we got a booster or something but wow. we already had it um anyways it's awful yeah get vaccinated Ain't no joke it, it is no joke and then my mother was sick like after we were sick but not they she adults get the don't get it like that you get like a sore throat and whatever but it's kids get it bad kids get it really bad anyways it's highly contagious um it affects the lungs Early symptoms are like common cold, you get a runny nose, sneeze, mild cough, fever. After one to two weeks, the cough worsens. The mucus gets really thick and it gets in your airways, um, which results in bursts of rapid coughs. So that's where you get that whooping like mm-hmm. noise. Patients can turn blue due to lack of um, oxygen. It prevents you from sleeping. That's why we got the fenugreek with codeine to sleep. Um, children get very, very ill. Infants often cannot whoop to clear their airways so they cool. can't even clear their airways um and children often vomit after coughing spells it is ugh, frightening and the noise it makes it's off like you can't there's no control you would right. literally just wake up every night and do it it was awful and then you were so sore because from coughing you're whooping all yeah. the- <laughs> um and that's all they do is just give you medicine to sleep because there's all nothing else you can do um so as so that's the diseases that people would really die from then as far as injuries go, the weapons used were muskets, bayonets, and cannonballs. And they're made of lead. Yeah, not pretty. Mm-mm. There were a lot of burns, lacerations, bullet wounds, and head injuries. Field doctors did not have much training, as I had stated mm-hmm. before. They felt like an, amp- an amputation was safer than to try to salvage a limb. So there were a ton of failed amputations. Oh, and then these guys either had no limb or they died, died of sepsis anyway. anyways. Um, they sometimes gave the soldiers some wine or some rum or some tobacco juice. Um, but more often than not, they gave them nothing to do these amputations. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Then they'd have two or three attendants. Hold them down. Hold them down. And the surgeon would cut off the limb with a very large knife or a saw. Um, wow. Yeah, and that was it. Um, burns were treated in two ways. If you had a superficial burn, just a little backfire from your gun. Um, they'd throw some wine on it. Because, you know, alcohol kills it. With all that sugar in it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then if you had a full thickness burn, like a real good deep one, they put some um, lard on it. So just rub some fat over it. Cook it a little more. Yeah. Um, So there's this Dr. John Jones. John Jones. He's an actual trained physician um, with a degree in everything. He (laughs) serves. He's a bona fide surgeon. He trained over, you know, in France or somewhere. He served in the French and Indian War, and he realized that these field surgeons had, like, zero experience. Um, so he wrote and published the first American surgical text. It's called The Plain and Concise <laughs> Practical Remarks on the Treatment of Wounds and Fractures. And here it is. This is what we do. Yeah. Plain and concise. It is. I'm not kidding you when I say, like, if you read some of these excerpts, it's like, okay. So this guy has a, um, if he was scalped. By the Indians, American, Native Americans. Native Americans. Um, if it looks like this, you do this. If it looks like this, you do this. And now does it look like this? Because then you do this. It is literal, precise, step by step. 
Like I could go, Sam could go into the field and go, okay, oh yeah, all right, half your scalp is still on, so we should do this. Like it tells yep. you exactly what to do. Um, so I, it's he literally wrote it as a guide so the untrained field surgeons could get a patient, see what the injury was, open to that page in the book, and, and see step by step what to do. Um, and he wrote it very plainly, so literally it was anybody, plain and concise. It was Laura, plain and concise. plain and concise. Anybody could pick that book. Even up. the title mm-hmm. told you what to plain do. Plain and concise. Um, anybody could use it. So you did not need any training or education to use this book. Um, Jones was an advocate of limb salvage because mm-hmm. he was in this other war and he saw like, oh, they're just cutting these limbs off and really we should try to save them. Um, he knew how many patients died of shock and sepsis after the field amputations. So he encouraged the field surgeons to try and debride the wounds with as little soft tissue damage as possible. So like, just cut out where the bullet is or and let it just, heal. right. Just take out that damaged tissue. Try mm-hmm. to leave everything else. Um, this was difficult because the lead bullets that they used expanded on impact. Really? And then blew apart the tissue and the bone. So the lead bullets made You'd it worse. Think, I would think they would have just gone in as I is. I know, no. It said it, like, damaged a lot of the surrounding tissue. So, like, oh, that was a lot of damage. So then they would cut it off. <laughs> um, he also taught people to use Bach emollient as cautery. So to stop bleeding, they would put this, like tree bark emollient on oh um he walked field surgeons through how to do burr holes in this book with what they had like little the hudson drills it was like a hudson brace those... yeah <laughs> so it w- it's i'm not kidding you it like when you read this stuff he wrote he was like okay if they have a depressed skull fracture you're Just gonna go it. ahead and make a burr hole but don't make it on the edge of the fracture put it on the far edge of the fracture and try to push it up i mean it's Literally exactly what we do today. This guy was telling them what to do in this book. Um, it's really, it's amazing because how he knew that stuff. Because then he goes, he goes into brain injuries. And he's talking about, you know, um, the animal spirits that live in your different hemispheres of your brain. Come on. So he goes from knowing what to do for a depressed skull yeah. fracture and then he goes into the animal You know, you can't spirits. release the animal spirits into the ventricle. Like knew there was ventricles and hemispheres. But and then, then he gets into gotta- animal spirits. Yep, but then says, you know, you got to release those animal spirits. And I'm like, oh, my God, like I, how he knew how to do burr holes like we still do them today. And then talk about animal spirits. And then talk about it. It's unreal. Laura, if you had an animal spirit, what would it be? I don't know. What would it be? I don't know. Mine would probably be a honey badger. <laughs> yeah, just don't give a shit. I don't know what mine would be. I think something nice, but would tear your head off if tested. Mm. Like a cougar? Mm. Koala bear? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. You think I'm nice. They're, they're vicious. I yeah. hear. Mm-hmm. I hear they're real vicious. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Um, and then he had this other part in the book. So they, soldiers got scalped a lot mm-hmm. because they the British had the Native Americans working for them. Yeah. And it was worth money. Yes. And the Native Americans scalped them. He told them how to re Epitheliize the, the scalp. Skin. No hair, just scalp. Yeah, just to make sure the scalp regrew. And it would grow back in like, I mean, it took a long, like two years. But he could get them to get them to get their scalps to grow back. I think that's amazing from the 1700s. After being scalped. No, I don't want to, no. However, he could regenerate their scalps in 1775. I think that's pretty I think impressive. it's remarkable. That's pretty impressive. Sister so John Jones. Jones, I think, is really cool. I think John Jones is very um, cool. I think he's unreal. So I have these little stories. <laughs> Why did you just look at me like uh, that? The twenty terrifying Revolutionary War soldier experiences. <gasps> terrifying. You know why? Why don't we go through my peeps? Okay, yeah, and then and we'll, then do, we'll the do that. Stories. All right, because right. I think it just—they're not going to fit in afterwards. Okay. All right. One of these girls—I don't even know why we talk about her. Mm-hmm. I, I shouldn't say that because she did do something cool, but I don't know. Abigail Corbin Peck. Mm-hmm. Plus the writing's so small I can barely read it. Okay, Abigail Corbin Peck was. Let's see. She's in Connecticut. I can tell you oh. she's in Connecticut. She's born in Danbury, Connecticut, in 1747, and she's married to Phineas Peck. Such a 1700 word mm-hmm. name, Phineas. Mm-hmm. Phineas Gage, Phineas Peck. So they get married in 1776, and in 1777, while her husband was away fighting for the Patriots, they drag him away, mm-hmm. the British burned down Danbury, Connecticut, Uh-oh. while she's in it. I didn't know that. She brought wounded into her home and cared for them. 
Some were returned to good health. Others, she could only comfort as death approached. Mm. So for that, she is known as like a nurse of the civil uh, of the revolution. I was gonna say, in eighteen sixteen, Phineas Abigail and their family moved to Seneca, New York. Mm-hmm. And in eighteen fifty seven, a widow at the tender age of ninety, Jesus, Abigail moved west with her family. What by way of the Oregon Trail? Oxteens <gasps> on the Oregon Trail. <laughs> Yep. She lived she, in the Revolutionary War she in did, the freaking Oregon She trail. did miss the um, Donna Party. Oh, good. Uh, she went after the Donna Party. And she dies in 19... No, that can't be right. She dies <laughs> at the tender age of 101. Holy shit. So what did I say she was born in? 17-something. She's born in... seven. So it has to be 1848 that mm. she dies. Wow. They literally wrote... 1948. Oh, good. Okay. She'd be fucking old. If she yeah, she'd be real old. Okay. Then we have Abigail Hartman Rice. She's a Revolutionary War nurse. Mm-hmm. We're going to paraphrase Abigail Hartman Rice because they really get into Abigail Hartman Rice. So, she comes over from Germany mm-hmm. when she's eight years old with her family. She's a good stock. Yes. Um, i got to get to where she comes over, though. All right, because they really get into it. So she comes over with her family. She's aboard the Royal Union in Rotterdam, and she comes and she lands in Pennsylvania um, on August 15th, along with ships from Portugal, Madeira, and the Caribbean. She was eight years old. She descends the gangplank alongside her family (gasps) in Seth's Foot in North America. She moves to Chester County, which is near the Shuckill River. Um, And her father ends up he owns, like, a lot of land. He gets in this big land dispute with them. But she carries on. The Hartman German-speaking neighbors play a significant role in the revolution. Uh, they, Abigail gets and meets Zachariah Rice before her adolescence, and they get married. By the time the Seven Year War started, Zachariah was a young man in his early 20s. In 1757, when she's 16, they marry in a ceremony. And two years later, at the age of 18, she delivers her first child, a son named John. Mm-hmm. Okay. She proceeds to have a shit load of kids. Okay? A shit, like, 23 kids. What? Yeah. I'm not kidding when I tell you a shit load well, of kids. Well, she should be written in history. Just her now. epitaph will tell you how many she has. So You the, didn't put your kids in school back then, though, right? I don't know what she did, man. But she, and I'm wondering if there's any twins grade. in there. Yeah. I mean, that's a shit load of kids. So it gets on and on about Chester County and the people involved, and they're all running off to the revolution, and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And um, the war is getting closer and closer to home. Zachariah gets hurt. He comes home. Um, and he, they, at this point, have 15 children. Jesus Christ. But he's very politically involved in the revolution. Mm-hmm. And things are going on and going on. And now they decide to build a hospital about a mile for the Rice family home along Pickering Creek. Hmm. And it is... I forgot what they call it. I'll, I'll get it. It's going to show up somewhere. Oh, here we go. All right. It's the hospital at Yellow Springs. Mm-hmm. It's about 10 miles from Valley Forge, which we might cover in the summertime, uh, the wintertime. Mm-hmm. It was the Continental Army's first permanent military medical facility. Mm-hmm. Zachariah Rice helped construct the building known as Washington Hall. Mm-hmm. By the time the hospital was completed, the structure measures 160 feet by 36 feet. On the first floor, as a visitor could meet with doctors and nurses in the kitchen, dining room, or one of the utility rooms. I was going to say, 160 feet by 36 feet. Very Not small. very big, but it's yeah. a couple floors. Okay. Uh, hospital administrators kept soldiers in one of two wards on the second floor, or in more private rooms on the third floor. And a nine-foot wraparound porch on the first floor has provided some breathing room to the men cramped indoors. Oh, nice. 1,300 patients were treated at Yellow Springs throughout the six-month encampment. Wow. It's about a mile from the Rice family, and... Abigail is like, she just starts by going over and she's bringing food to the soldiers and she's helping out with the soldiers. Because she doesn't have enough to do with 15 Exactly, kids. with 15 yeah. kids, which which is a growing family. Mm-hmm. And she it, she's just becoming more and more involved with this hospital. Hospital conditions are hard to imagine today. There is primitive knowledge of proper medical procedures, as you talk about, with mm-hmm. no conception of germ theory. Mm-hmm. Life inside is probably appalling, mm-hmm. I bet. The illnesses, you have typhoid, like I said, typhus, dysentery, like you said, pneumonia, they were all common. Mm-hmm. 
Um, doctors help with the nurses frequently performed amputations, especially when frostbite set in during the winter months. Mm. But the Yellow Springs struggle to obtain necessary medical supplies. So they're asking for things like blankets, clothing, soap, and liquor. And it would only come at sporadic intervals. Mm. So the doctor writes to Continental Congress. He's like, okay, if you don't give us this stuff, this hospital's not going to work. Mm. What is happening at the hospital is the women are getting involved. Mm. So he writes, they do nothing. The women start bombarding the Continental Congress with, you've got to give us their Karens. Their wicked Karens. Uh-huh. These were like Karens on crack. Uh-huh. These were Karens with 23 kids. Oh, okay. So um, he's writing, you know, the, the nurses are refusing to serve any longer as they have received no pay. Uh-huh. Uh, they are marginalized society. Like people, society looked down on nurses at this time. Uh-huh. People don't realize nurses were crap. Some people still look down. <laughs> um, so they're writing all this stuff. And by the end of the war, some nurses were earning greater pay than the enlisted men. Wow. And the political clout did not stop there. In 1781, Dr. Otto sent a letter to the president of the Pennsylvania Assembly requesting the assembly to look into freeing three Chester County soldiers. So some of these women had friends who were prisoners of war, mm-hmm. and they were able to get them released by oh. writing letters to the Continental Congress. So Abigail Rice is very involved in the Yellow Springs Hospital. She, While she's there, she contracts typhoid from one of the soldiers. She has had several complications from the illness and was never able to fully recover, though she did have seven more children. Yeah. Okay. So, at the time of her death, there are no records to indicate that anyone celebrated or honored her service at Yellow Springs. Nor for the matter did anyone seem fit to remember how she traveled to North America and established a life in a foreign land with no connections. Mm -hmm. But those in her circle did understand the incredible legacy she left behind. When she was laid to rest in the cemetery near St. Peter's Church in Pikeland, her first grave, her first gravestone read, Some have children, some have none. Here lies the mother of 21. She- I'm sorry, so correct me. She had 21 kids. So, that is, I mean, it goes on and on about her, but. Mm, so, she's a mom of 21 kids and she's. She helps start she's this hospital. Trying to get and, this hospital. Yeah, she gets this hospital rolling, rolling, rolling. Jesus. Get that hospital rolling, ride. All right. Now we're going to mention who my father claims to be part of my legacy. Yeah. General Joseph Warren. Oh. And General Joseph Warren. Warren's a rare name, so you're probably well, related. Well, is it though? So General Joseph Warren was involved in the Battle of Bunker Hill, Laura. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's see. He was something, all right? Mm-hmm. Okay, he is born in the Roxbury province of the Massachusetts Bay community nice. to Joseph and Mary Warren. He is born. When did you be born? He was born June 11th, 1741. Jesus. You know, they all wear these stupid wigs, mm-hmm. and they look like they're 100 years old. Mm-hmm. He was like 34 when he died. <laughs> if you look at the picture of me, it looks like he's about fucking 89. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... He, um, his father died while he fell off a ladder while gathering fruit in his orchard. Ooh. Did you know that? No, I bet you didn't. That doesn't seem like a very high no. ladder. He attended Roxbury Latin School. He was enrolled in Harvard in no. class of 1759. And then he taught for a year about uh, at Roxbury Latin. He studied ma- medicine and he married 18-year-old heiress Elizabeth Hooten oh. on September 6th. 1764, where she promptly died in 1773, leaving him with four children, Elizabeth, Joseph, Mary, and Richard, before his death in 1775. Mm. All right. While practicing medicine and surgery in Boston, he becomes extremely involved in politics, Mm -hmm. which he should have just kept himself to medicine. Mm -hmm. All right. He is associated with John Hancock, Sam Adams, and all the other riffraff in Boston, Sons of Liberty. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, he conducted an autopsy on Christopher Sider in February, February 1770 and was a member of the Boston Committee that assembled a report on the following month's Boston Massacre, oh. which was a big scam. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's writing all this propaganda. Mm. He writes a true patriot um, and the British are getting pissed. Mm-hmm. They don't like it. He's stirring shit up. He's stirring shit up. Mm-hmm. In 1774, he authors the song "Free America," like kind of like Lee Greenwood. And I'm proud to be that an was American. Katie's. That was my friend Katie's favorite song. 
That's Brian's favorite for song. a million years. That's I, Brian's favorite song. I'm not sure if it's Maybe that or jump Carey. around now, but it was one. Oh, of them. and I'm proud. He cries. Me I think when you play. Um, yep. Mm-hmm. Then he joined the Scottish Rite Freemasons. He was initiated into the Saint Andrew's Lodge. So he's getting very political. Mm-hmm. All right. He talks about the. Um, he gives multiple speeches on the Boston Massacre, mm-hmm. and. He's doing this while the t- it's 1775 now. Boston's occupied by the British Army. Mm-hmm. They don't like him at all. No, he's a pot star. Not at all. So, while he's in Boston, it's now April of 1775. Laura, what happens in eighteen in April of 1775? Do you remember? Um, Precisely April 18th, we celebrate it with the Boston Marathon. Yes, oh. the shot heard round the world. It's the start of the revolution. The Minutemen. Okay, I don't know that song. Well, watch Schoolhouse Rock. It's a whole thing. Oh, I could go that. get your powder, get your gun, report <laughs> to General Washington. Okay, so they um, this is getting ready, and he starts. He is part of the team that gets together. Sorry, that's my page hitting the thing. He gets together the troops to report. To Lexington, so in Lexington and Concord, in case you don't know your history, Sam Adams, John Hancock, the head leaders over in there, the British are coming to arrest them. They send Paul Revere out. They send Dawes out. Tell them that they come and get the fuck out of there. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what happens. So they don't, they're unable to arrest them. All right. So Warren, he slips out of Boston early on April 19th. And during that day's Battle of Lexington and Concord, he coordinates any and leads militia to fight alongside as the British, so as they're leaving, the British coming back, the fuckers that we are, we're picking them off, because you know they're wearing bright red coats. So as they're coming back to Boston, Warren is one of the guys. He's helping them pick them off as they're coming back to Boston. So the British really don't like him now. Yeah, okay. He's a During this fighting, he's almost killed as a musket ball strikes part of his wig. Thank oh. God he was wearing that ugly ass white wig. Thank God. Um, when his mother saw him after the battle and heard of his escape, she entreated him with tears again not to risk his life so preciously. And you know what he says? When danger is, wherever danger is, dear mother, there will there will your son be. But they talk so weird that it's hard to read it. Now is no time for one's Americans' children to th- to shrink from the most hazardous duty. I will either set my country free or shed my last drop of blood to make her so. So good. And you wonder where I get it, Laura. That's a legacy. You wonder why I'm so goddamn patriotic. Uh Okay. Mm -hmm. I bleed red, white, and blue. And then he turned to recruiting and organizing soldiers for the siege of Boston. Mm Because he's something. Mm -hmm. Okay. So here he is. He's a surgeon. Mm -hmm. He's really political now. Mm -hmm. And he gets commissioned as a major general by the Provincial Congress, June 14th, 1775. Laura, what's going to happen in June of 1775? Battle of Bunker Hill. You are so fucking smart. Several days later, in the moments before the Battle of Bunker Hill, he arrives and he's like, I want to be where the heaviest fighting is. And the generals are like, you're a general. You don't really need to be out there. He's like, oh, no, no, no. Where there is freedom, he will be there to set a free life. Where there is trouble, your son will Will be. be. I will set Mm -hmm. where there is the most hazardous duty. Mm -hmm. I will either set my country free Mm -hmm. or shed my last blood Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. drop. Use front and center. Well, he sheds his last (laughs) drop of blood to do so. Okay. So. All right. He wants to know where's the heaviest fighting on there. They point to Breed's Hill, Mm -hmm. which we all call Bunker Hill. But it's really Breed's Hill Hill, is where the fight was. Mm -hmm. And I I don't know if the monument's actually on Breed's Hill or Bucket Hill, but it's up there. Mm -hmm. So he joins the fighting as a private against the wishes of General Putnam and Colonel William Prescott. And if you go to Revere, where I grew up, all these streets are named after these Mm -hmm. guys. So they're like, dude, really? Really? He's like, nope, this is what I'm doing. Um... And he's not really experienced in war, so he doesn't really know what he's doing. He's a doctor. That's he's a doctor, and he really should have stayed on the sides. So, Mm -hmm. so, but he's out there. He's inspiring his men. Hold rank because at the Battle of Bunker Hill, we're totally overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Don't fight. We have no army. We have no ammunition. That's the famous line: "Don't shoot till the whites of their eyes," because you had to wait and save your ammunition. Mm -hmm. We're fucked, and everybody's gonna die. He doesn't give a shit. He's like a honey badger too. These these fellows say we won't fight exclamation point by heavens comma i hope i shall die up to my knees in blood well he gets his wish okay so he fights until the ammunition and what remains runs out 
The British make their final assault on the hill. He fights long enough to give some of the troops time to escape. Mm-hmm. And he's killed instantly by a musket or a pistol ball in the head by a British officer who knows who he is. Oh. So they're like, oh, there's a little fucking shit. I'm going to get him. Ah, Boom. Is that, is that Warren over there? Yeah, is that Warren, a little prick. I'm going to shoot him two to the back of the head. Boom. Done. Musket ball. He's all set. This account is supported by a 2011 forensic analysis. Mm-hmm. After he shot two to the back of the head, boom, boom, his body was stripped of clothing and he was bayoneted <gasps> until unrecognizable <gasps> and then shoved into a shallow ditch. <sighs> I got a page flip. I mean, I yes. again, he was fighting for like hundreds of years. This Captain Walter Laurie, he really hated him. Mm-hmm. He said... He stuffed the scoundrel with another rebel into one hole, and there he and his seditious principles may remain. Well, guess what, fucker? We won. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, uh. So he's now got a monument over there, Mm -hmm. and he's got buildings and streets, and me named after him. (laughs) So (laughs) in a letter to John Adams, Benjamin Hitchborn describes the damage that the British Lieutenant James Drew of the Sloop Scorpion inflicted on Warren's body two days after the Battle of Bunk Hill. And a day or two after, Drew went upon the hill again, opened the, the, the dirt that was thrown over Dr. Warren. He must have really been an asshole. I, that's a, he sounds like a Wait, So he opens the grave, uh-huh. spits in his face, <gasps> jumped on his stomach, and at last cut off his head and committed every act of violence upon his body. Mm. Dude, he's dead. He's at this point. Three days into decomposition. Get over it. Now you're going to spit in his face. Jump on his stomach? Like, you must have been... Right. He must have really hated him. Yeah, he must have done something else. That's what us warrants do to people. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we can we can run under his skin. Um, his body was exhumed ten months after his death by his brother and Paul Revere, who identified the remains of the artificial tooth he had placed in the jaw. You know what? I have one too. Mm-hmm. We're simpatico, me and him. Mm-hmm. His body was placed in the granary burying ground and later in 1825 at St. Paul's Church before finally being moved in 1855 to his family's vault in Forest Hills. So he leaves behind his fiance Mercy Scully in Worcester. She flees to Worcester because if they did that to him imagine what they were going to do to her. She looks after his kids and she gets support for their education from Hancock, Sam Adams, Mercy Otis, Benedict Arnold. Oh, a traitor. Asshole that he is. And the Continental Congress. His younger brother and apprentice in medicine, John Warren, served as a surgeon during the Battle of Bunker Hill and the rest of the war. And afterwards, John Warren founds Harvard Medical School and he's a co-founder of the Massachusetts Medical Society. His son starts the Warren Building in Mass General. He's one of the founders of Mass General. So what you're trying to tell me is that your father told you you're one of the founders of Mass General. He did. Okay. And I think I should just, get more, yeah. I think if I was to work there, I should get more pay. Yeah. Um, so his name is everywhere, clearly. Mm-hmm. 14 states have a Warren County named after them. Additionally, Warren, Pennsylvania, Warren, Michigan, Warren, New Jersey, Warrington, Missouri, Warrington, Virginia, Warren, Maine, Warren, Massachusetts. I hope Massachusetts would have had a Warren. You would have. Let's just say, um, I'm not going to get in the rest of it. He was something. Okay. He was such a fucker. They he hated him so much. Like they went back three days later, dug him up, and jumped on his, his body, cut his head off, and spit in his face. Now, when did he spit in his face first, or did he pick it up and spit in his face hand to hand? I think that's what I, I would have done. I mean, I'm the... going to cut it off. I, I mean, I would do. I would want to lean over to that gaseous. No, no I would pick the head up, I think. And just yeah. right in his face. Okay. Yeah. I wonder what else he did to that. I mean, that well, all, all manners of shit. You know there was some... It was some spewing on that body. Oh, God. You know there was. No, I'm sorry. Go know. ahead. <laughs> Laura, take it away. With the uh, Take us through the end of the revolution. We're going to get our independence. Take us through what these guys All right. did well, to get us. this is just... So this article was in the Journal of the American Revolution. 25, 20 terrifying revolutionary war soldier experiences. They weren't all very terrifying, I didn't find. But... Was one of them just like, I don't know, woolen breeches? Yeah, some of them were yeah. like, I'm like... What's that though? What's Was it really? terrifying? Not so not much. Sure. I'll call you terrifying. So, and um, some of them accidentally soldiered too high. Um, <laughs> what does that even mean? I don't know. So John Carney was a late private soldier in the 9th Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania Regiment. He was 35 years old. Um, he was made to appear to this court. This is like what the paper says. 
that he lost his eyesight by reason of severe duty and hardship he underwent in the Army of the United States. So they just said, What do you do that made you go blind? I don't know. There's things that your grandmother tells you to do. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Handling a firearm for most of these soldiers was something they were doing for the first time when they enlisted. They had never shot a gun. I find that hard to believe in 1776. Yeah, but if you were living in Boston, well, you handled a gun. Well, unless you're like a like a hoity-toity. If you're a farmer, you're handling farm. You're handling in guns. Boston, I don't know. I mean, no. they had cows in the fucking Boston Commons. Yeah. Um, people were shot by themselves or their comrades in arms <laughs> enough weird. times that it warranted attention from George Washington. Imagine he'd be like, Jesus Christ, how do I fight a battle with this kind uh-huh. of shit? Uh-huh. The petition of Simon Gore was read, setting forth that the petitioner has been a private in Captain Thomas Palmer's company of rifle militia of the city. Last summer campaign. That by the accidental discharge of a rifle, the ball and wiper thereof passed through both the petitioner's thighs and most terribly shattered the bone of one. So he shot himself through both of his legs. And shattered the bone. I'm trying to envision... How he did they had that. no idea how to handle guns. They were shooting each other more than they shot. No enemies. shit. Yeah. Anyway, Frost- and yet we still won. I, it's unbelievable. How bad was the it's British Army that we still won? Yeah. Frostbite. Oh, you saw that coming. Yeah. Valley Forge. This is a little note. Um, to Michael Tudor, late, a soldier in the Pennsylvania Regiment commanded by Captain Blank and Company, <laughs> that he lost his feet by the severity of the winter on the lines in 1777 under Colonel Morgan. So they're writing to whoever mm-hmm. um, to try to get compensation for yep. these guys. Um, to John Thompson, late, a sergeant of Captain Dalbert's company in the 2nd Pennsylvania Regiment, aged about 50 years. God, dude was 50 fighting in the war. Yeah. Well, it was an important war, Laura. Uh, I know. That he was transferred from his said regiment to the Regiment of Invalids. <laughs> and discharged. <laughs> Literally a regiment of invalids. You're going to the invalids. All right, you go to the guy who's blind from too much work. The and guy who shot himself through the legs. Discharged from the regiment they didn't want him of invalids, as unfit for further duty, um, either in the garrison or in the field, on account of his disability occasioned by a frost in laying out camp Vile. in a hard winter, whereby he is rendered incapable of getting a livelihood by labor. I'm thinking he lost his toes. Couldn't yeah, walk. maybe a nose. Yeah. maybe a fingertip. Mm-hmm. Um. To Christopher Barris, late, a private in the 10th Pennsylvania Regiment, and from thence transferred to the Regiment of Invalids. Again. Oh, I want to see this regiment, I'm telling you. I don't, no, I don't want to see this You know regiment. what? You know when you see the, the 1776, you see the guy bandaged up once from the, the fight? Yeah. Thing over That's what they, they came from the Regiment yeah. of Invalids. You know what I mean? <laughs> this dude was also discharged for the Regiment of Oh, they didn't invalids. want him either. On account of a wound received by a stroke of a broad axe. Jesus. Yeah. Who's fighting with an axe? I mean, you gotta use what you got. You don't have ammunition, you use the axe. That's why I got one laying up at the top yeah. of the stairs. She does literally have an axe at the top of the stairs. It's a little I scary. literally have no idea why that's I was there. getting a little nervous coming yeah, down to the podlock. I get nervous every time I see it. I don't know why I said it. Um, <laughs> Mike doesn't strike me as an axe kind of guy. I don't know why it's there. Anyways. Mike, what's with the axe? Okay. Okay. Um, so this guy, of George Parker was in the 6th Pennsylvania Regiment, about 24 years old. He received a hurt in his leg in erecting huts at James's Island in South Carolina. He, like, hurt his back with things. No, he doesn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. He's tied, he's he hot. He's putting up he's tents, got hurt his back. Nondescript his leg pain. It's going to put him out of work pain. for a long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy, William Maris, um, was a soldier in the 2nd Battalion of Militia. In 1776, while on actual service, um, he contracted a most violent cold in his head, <laughs> which concentrated in his right eye and obliged him to leave camp, which was then at Bristol, and return to the city of Philadelphia. These guys are stretching. These guys are reaching. Mm-hmm. He's a reaching. And he had a little he, conjunctivitis and he had to go home. Yeah, he had a cold in his eye. Yeah, I don't want him anyway. And after undergoing a variety of medical treatments by several eminent surgeons... At great expense, he lo- he was at last obliged to suffer the operation of having his eye taken out. Mm-hmm. Um, Abraham Bate was a late corporal in the 10th Pennsylvania Regiment. He was wounded in the leg by an axe cutting wood. <laughs> Afterwards, wounded in the other leg the day of the Battle of Brandywine. Brandywine! Mm-hmm. 
John Filter of the 10th Regiment, enlisted by Captain Dawson, um, was drafted as a blacksmith. He was 33 years old. And he was bruised in the breast while shoeing a continental horse. Well, because the horse kicked him. Yeah. Um, he wants compensation for that. Yeah. Call Morgan a Morgan. <laughs> John Smith. Oh, can we come up with a better name no. than John Smith? He's a non-commissioned officer. He was about 45 years old. He's On old. the 4th of July in 1780, was disabled by the rammer of a cannon, cannon at a rejoicing fire at a Sunbury in the county of North So they're celebrating. We're almost so there, they're lighting they, off the cannons because yeah. they're celebrating and it backfires into them. Hey, God love him. Um, Hugh McSwain was a late Marine in the galley service. Well, the Marines were awful early at that oh, time. I know. I didn't I start until 76. Um, aged about 60 years. He's a 60-year-old Marine. Jeez, they were taking anybody then, weren't they? He was wounded in the loins. Oh, I bet he was. Mm. Called by syphilis. a splinter of wood occasioned Loin. by a shot from Augusta war- ship of war the day she was blown up in the River of Delaware in 1777. Which renders him incapable, incapable of getting a support by labor. What? He was hurt so bad with this piece of wood in his loins that he can no longer work. <laughs> <laughs> my loins! It's in my loins. No for my loins. <laughs> James Brannan, a late private in the Second Pennsylvania Regiment, aged about thirty-five, found that he was wounded in the groin. In an attack on Not the loins house. this time, just this the groin. This is just the groin. He pulled the ham, you know, groin. Pulled the hammy. <laughs> um, he, this dude, Thomas Carahan, 61. We were struggling, dude. I can't believe we won this war. I was wounded the night before the Battle of Brandywine. Oh, Brandywine was something. Um, by the enemy's light horse. And he, as he fell, was trampled under the horse's feet. And bruised all over. Oh, I bet he was. Mm-hmm. Must have been some horse. Mm-hmm. Well, they are pretty big. Um, William Ritchie um, was blinded by the powder springing in his eyes from a cannon on the 27th of November, 1777. Oh, um, see, these don't seem like none of them seem really bad to me. I don't know. I don't think I'm going to be blinded by gunpowder. No. Or have my loins have a stick in them. I know, but I mean, really. <laughs> but really. <laughs> um, Samuel Smith, a late private soldier in Captain John Harris's company, was 32 years old. Uh, he received a, ru- a wound by a cannonball at the Battle of Brandywine that shot his left thigh, whereby he lost his leg and thigh. I'm surprised he didn't lose his life. Yeah, so he, well, he is dead. It's well, it's also late. 200 years later. <laughs> yeah, well, sure. No, but these are like from notes like oh, that they sent died. to the court. Um, another example of cannibal versus leg was about Abraham Best. He was, was a late a big name back then. In the 6th Pennsylvania Regiment. He's about 30 years old. On the 4th day of October in the year 1777, he lost his leg by cannonball in the action at Germantown in the service of the United States. <laughs> Edward Killen was a soldier in the 5th Pennsylvania Battalion. He was wounded at the capture of of Fort Washington in the thigh, the hand, the right foot, and in the testicles. Oh, that was the money shot. And that's about it. A lot of them got hit in the loins, apparently. The loins might have been pretty big at that time. I mean, if you've ever seen those pants, all you could see were freaking loins. What are they? With the flap. Right, the 13 stars. No, not pantaloons. 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 (laughs) I can't. So couldn't be more unattractive. No. Well. Yeah. Well, well, well. Mm -hmm. There's your revolution. Yeah. May we never cover it again. No. (laughs) Yeah, the badass Warren who didn't know what the hell he was doing, but was like, just kill me. I love this I'm going to die. I am so patriotic. Just kill me. And these other guys are like, hmm. I have a cold. I gotta go home. I have a cold in my eye. Could you remove? Could you remove it, please? Um, do we have any emails we could cover? We have one email. Mm-hmm. It says, um, "Hello, ladies. Hi. I stinking love your podcast, and I stinking love you. <laughs> I'm a nursing student from the great state of South Dakota, and I love to hear about the real world of nursing from you two absolutely hilarious ladies." I have learned so much on so many random topics, and I love it. I like how you keep the podcast so conversational and fun. I can't (laughs) wait to hear more. Keep up the good work. 
Haley. Thanks, Haley. I just say Haley. You're the second person I know from South Dakota. I didn't think anybody lived out there. Really? <laughs> Carmen's from South Dakota. Oh, she's from. Hi, Carmen. Hi, Carmen. Like born and raised in Harold, South Dakota. Oh, I think I know. Yeah. Maybe we should go visit. I landed in South Dakota for 10 minutes. That doesn't count. I saw a tornado shelter and I got in a car and I drove back to Boston. That was nice. Yeah. And it's flat out there. Really? Ain't, ain't a lot to see. I heard it was beautiful. Maybe with this mountains oh. where I was was flat. What was flat? Like the ground. There's like maybe a tree. That I saw Uh-oh. the whole time. Pretty, I thought it was supposed to be like gorgeous out there. And South that... Dakota and North Dakota, the plains. Yeah, not I don't so know much. what I thought the Dakotas was supposed to be beautiful. Mm. Mm. Somebody's pulling your leg. Maybe. Haley, tell us. Yeah, Carmen, tell right us. In. South Dakota beautiful? Because it didn't look too beautiful to me for the five minutes I was there. I heard it was beautiful. Yeah, whatevs. Well, Haley, thank you for writing in. Mm-hmm. And we love our write-ins, as you can see. Um, mm-hmm. We read almost anything that's written in because mm-hmm. it makes me happy. Mm-hmm. So feel free to send us more emails. We enjoy every stinking one of them yes uh thank you again for listening we're on the everyday heroes podcast network, network. Mm-hmm. which is a lot of cops and fire and military mm-hmm. right up this revolutionary war episode things should join in mm-hmm. um so we're still taking you know ideas for shows taking emails talk to us love us we'd love to hear from you yeah have a very safe fourth of july please do not Play with fireworks. Don't light anybody's hair on fire with fireworks. That'd be so bad. Those sparklers are mm. way more dangerous than they look. Yep. Keep the grills away from the side of the house. Please. And don't go um, near the propellers of boats. Yes. I mean, just be like, safe. Come on. And then we've got some more um chaos, death, and mayhem coming up for the summer series. Yeah. Happy Fourth of July. Bye. Bye. Like, subscribe, rate, and review the scissors and scrubs podcast on whatever podcast app you listen to us on follow us on twitter facebook and instagram at scissors and scrubs and email us any of your stories or thoughts to scissors and scrubs at gmail.com